Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. Julie Henricus, the Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I'm thrilled to welcome Kelly Oliver to the podcast today. Kelly is the award-winning and best-selling author of three mystery series, the seven-book suspense series, The Jessica James Mysteries, the three-book middle grade series, Pet Detective Mysteries, and the four-book historical cozy series, The Fiona Fig Mysteries. Chaos at Carnegie Hall is the latest Fiona Fig mystery and the first to feature sidekick Kitty Lane. When she's not writing novels, Kelly is a distinguished professor of philosophy at Vanderbilt University. To learn more about Kelly and her books, go to her website, which will be in the show notes, as will all of her social media connections. Kelly is also the new as we're recording this episode in October of 2022, Vice President of Sisters in Crime National. So I'm really happy to welcome her to the podcast today. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you, Julie. It's great to be here. Well, I love talking to writers about writing, and you've written middle grades, historicals, you know, suspense. So we'll have lots to talk about. Let's, But let's start, as I always do in this podcast. Um, when did you first say to yourself, I want to be a writer? Well, I, in a sense, had to become a writer because I got a PhD in philosophy and then went on to become a philosophy professor. So publish or perish uh, is not just a cute saying, but uh, it's true. So I had to publish. Uh, So I guess I first seriously started thinking about what it meant to be a writer when I was in graduate school, because before going through school, you know, I'd written papers like everybody does, book reports, so on. But I had to write a dissertation, which is a book length Mm. manuscript. And I realized that before writing, there was a certain emptiness. I mean, while writing the dissertation, I was, you know, struggling to think, do I really have anything to say? And, you know, trying to get confidence and figure out how to write something that long and and sustained uh, writing a book length manuscript. But I realized as I was going through the process that it really did give a certain aspect of my life meaning in a way that I hadn't it hadn't had that kind of meaning before. I mean, I really had a a certain kind of feeling of emptiness that I just didn't have any ideas or anything to say, or, you know, that there really wasn't much going on up there. Um, Maybe that's the product of getting a PhD. It just makes you feel stupid. Uh, But uh, the, the process of writing put me in touch with uh, something other, a kind of, well, I don't know, this might sound kind of weird, but kind of language speaking through me mm-hmm. and me out of myself. So while I was writing, like I probably any writer maybe has this experience when you're totally absorbed in the writing, you're really not even aware of anything around you or your own self even. So you, you can lose yourself in the writing. And I, 
I just suddenly, I don't know, at the, after the dissertation, I just kept writing. I mean, it got to the point where I needed to write. I felt like I needed to write to survive this world. I mean, in a way it was, I don't know, a form of therapy, a form mm-hmm. of expression, artistic expression. And so for decades, I wrote a lot of, it would, you know, nonfiction. I was writing philosophy, all kinds of different philosophies. So some of it more accessible, some about film, and then some just totally scholarly stuff. So by the time I started writing fiction, I'd already published a lot of books, but, you know, philosophy, scholarly books or nonfiction books. So fiction writing opened up another dimension of writing and another kind of world that was a lot more creative and a lot more freeing than philosophy to the point that I have decided to retire. I will be officially retired from my job as being a professor at the end of this year because I only want to write fiction now. I I don't want to write scholarly or non, well, maybe I'd write nonfiction about mysteries or about writing, yeah. but I only want to write fiction. So I felt like I had to retire. And so I can just write. Wow. So let's unpack a lot of that when you, as you, because academic writing is, is very hard. I mean, it's, it's, uh, and it's a different skill set. Um, when you started to write fiction, how did you go on that path? Was it, you know, what, what, what were your entry points? Did you take classes? Like, how did you sort of build that skill set? Because it's, uh, you know, writing is writing, but academic writing uses different muscles than fiction writing. Yeah, that's very true. And I didn't know if I would be able to write fiction. I'd never studied creative writing. I'd never done any fiction writing before. And as you say, Julie, academic writing is very different in that with academic writing, you get right to the point, you know, mm-hmm. you're taught school what's your thesis you put the thesis at the top you enter with that and with fiction it's the opposite you have to hide the point you have to meander you have to take the reader on a journey you can't just at the beginning say oh here's who did the here's the murder and here's how it's solved and and here's where I'm going to take you you know through the process I mean I guess you you can, that's a certain genre of suspense where, you know, you know who the bad guy is and then you just have to learn how, if they succeed or if they blow up the world or whatever, <laughs> but yeah, it's totally different. You, in, in my philosophy writing, I had to get to the point right yeah. away, be very clear and not hide anything. Right. Whereas fiction, you have to slowly reveal and hide things. So, um, yeah, I, I first decided I had a sabbatical from Vanderbilt, I guess it was maybe like seven years ago. And I guess like most academics, I had always wanted to write fiction. I'd always wanted to write a novel. And I especially wanted to write a novel inspired by some of my experience in graduate school because it was very, very, very weird. Some really strange things happened to me. And um, yeah, kind of unbelievable. But um, so... I decided to try to use my sabbatical to write, but since I had never taken any creative writing and I had no idea how to write fiction, I didn't have really the first clue. I looked for a writer, some kind of writer's workshop, and mm-hmm. it just happened to be that that weekend was Killer Nashville. I live in Nashville, Tennessee, where I teach at Vanderbilt. 
And so I just went. It was like, yeah. wow, how convenient is that? It's it's a mystery convention that is really targeted toward writing more mm-hmm. than reading. Some of them are sort of mystery fans and reader based, like Bouchercom, but Killer Nashville is more the craft, different mm-hmm. uh, panels on the craft of writing. So it was incredible. And the first panel I went to was a special workshop sponsored by Sisters in Crime on how to start a novel. And it was with Hank Philippi Ryan and Katrina McPherson. And it was amazing. And I, it was a three hour long workshop. And I went home after that and I started writing my first novel. So I'm very indebted to Sisters in Crime. I've gone to many of the workshops that Sisters in Crime offer in conjunction with different mystery conventions. And they're always amazing. Uh, and I get a lot out of them. So so that's how I started writing. I just didn't look back. I just started writing this novel, the first novel, which was called Wolf, the first in the Jessica James mystery, the adult suspense series. I just started writing it. and. Uh, yeah, didn't didn't look back from there and haven't. I've just kept just kept writing and you know, I, I've learned a lot and I you know, I've read a lot of books on writing and gone to now different conferences and conventions and panels and the Sisters in Crime workshops and watch YouTube videos and everything, right, that I could get my hands on to try to teach myself really or learn how to write fiction and mysteries in particular. And was it always crime fiction for you, Kelly, or was it was Killer Nashville fortuitous? Like if it had been a romance writing (laughs) convention, you'd be writing romance or was it always going to be crime fiction? Yeah, that's what I joke that if I'd gone to a romance convention, I'd be writing romance or sci fi. (laughs) I'd be writing sci fi. So it really was just fortuitous that I went it happened to be Killer Nashville. I lived in Nashville. It was that very weekend, and off I went writing crime fiction. No, it it wouldn't have. You know, I I do like reading mysteries, but I wasn't a mystery fan. I wasn't just gobbling up lots of mysteries when I read fiction. I you know very eclectic kind of taste in fiction, but a lot of literary fiction. Um, and not necessarily mystery fiction. But since I have become a mystery writer thanks to killer nashville i guess i have started reading a lot more mysteries yeah and what about the what is it about the genre that pulls you in or that makes you you know you've written three series so this started seven years ago and boom look at what's going on so um what about the crime fiction genre attracts you well a few things one is i think that any good fiction includes a mystery. I mean, there's something that makes you want to turn the page, whether you're wondering who is this character? What are they doing? Why are they doing it? So any, any good fiction is a mystery of sorts. So the mystery genre and crime fiction is just more, I guess, explicitly about a mystery. It's a mystery about a mystery in a way, because it has to include those page turning elements about the character and the motives and the place and the setting and so on. But then it also usually includes the plot about a mystery mm-hmm. or a solution to the crime. But another thing that has been important to me is in my 
academic work and my scholarly work and my nonfiction work, I have always been very concerned about women's issues. So my philosophy, a lot of it was feminist philosophy or dealing with different social issues, Mm -hmm. wider issues of social justice, including women's issues of all sorts, you know, reproductive rights and medical women's uh, medical issues and uh, legal issues and so on. And so for me in my writing, it's been important to write about women's issues and social issues. And one of the things I love about fiction and creative writing is you can you can create a world where there is justice, even if we don't live in a world where justice is always done or where mm-hmm. justice somehow seems impossible sometimes. In the worlds that we create, we can create worlds where there is justice or by imagining justice. And I'm, I hope, my, my hope is with the creative writing to bring certain issues to light and mm-hmm. to bring certain issues to the attention, maybe of more readers, women's issues and social issues and issues of social justice to more readers more readers than I could reach, you know, with my academic writing, I think for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, that, so that's something that I especially like about the crime fiction genre is that you can deal with those all kinds of different social issues and try to create a world where women are empowered right. and where justice is done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Uh <laughs> You have so many questions. Um, as a philosopher, and somebody who got a PhD, which just uh, it's such huge admiration. I got a master's at one point, and that that bolted me in. <laughs> PhD is something else. But what is your brain thinks differently? You've trained your brain to think differently and see things differently. Um, has that helped you? Has has being a philosopher and being you know all of those years in academia helped you in in writing fiction? Do you think that's a good question, Julie? I I think it's helped me in terms of having writing habits for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had to write and I wrote regularly, so I know what it is to sit at a computer, and also I know what a marathon it is to try to write a book. Mm-hmm. It's hard endurance. And it takes dedication and a lot of discipline. So I had the kind of work habits and also related to writing, you know, so I, I, I guess I was a writer of sorts uh, before becoming a crime writer or fiction writer. Uh, in terms of the philosophy helping, I guess, I guess some of those philosophical themes or philosophical debates, um, I guess one thing about philosophy is that it requires you to take different perspectives as more so as a teacher than a writer, but a teacher of philosophy, you teach different perspectives on a certain issue. And so as a a writer, you really have to be able to take different perspectives and try to step into your character's shoes, even like the bad guy, you know, you're Mm -hmm. agree with what the bad guy is doing, but you have to have to somehow understand what it would be like in some sense uh, a fictional sense or imaginary sense, anyway, what it would be like to take a different perspective. So that's one of the things too that I really like about fiction is that you have to really try to inhabit 
opinions and beliefs uh, and desires that are not necessarily your own and don't just think about them in some abstract way and debate them like you might in philosophy. Okay, which has the better arguments for or against capital punishment or whatever the issue might be, but you have to actually inhabit them Mm -hmm. and and bring them to life. So if, you know, a philosophy is kind of like the bones or the skeleton, then fiction would be like the flesh and mm-hmm. life, these issues in a way that you can't in the scholarly writing, really. So, I mean, I do, though, think that one of my one of my editors, I, I had some characters debating, I don't know, genetic engineering or something in one of the books. And she's like, OK, OK, we already know these characters are smart enough with the debate. So I was like, OK, Press yeah. that, and, you know, take out take out too much philosophical stuff. So, you know, it. I guess I do have to be careful that it doesn't become, you know, like a philosophy. <laughs> like yeah. um, tell me what your process is like for for writing. Are you, uh, you know, a pantser, aka organic writer? Are you a plotter? I mean, you know, you're working full time. You're teaching, so you're fitting in the the fiction writing. But but what's your process like? I am a wannabe plotter that's really a pantser. (laughs) I wish I were a plotter. I really think it would be so much easier for me. And I try and I'm getting better at it. I think I'm getting better. Um, But yeah, I'm much more, I guess, of a pantser. So I just start writing. Usually I have an idea of the, the main crime I guess or plot mm-hmm. point or maybe even sometimes the theme although that's some more elusive a lot of times is what is the theme I don't know um, so then I might make scribble down a few notes just a few sentences of you know what is going to happen and figure out the characters um, and then start writing yeah start writing and try to outline by outline I mean like you know three sentences about each a chapter as I go so I'm I maybe have those couple of notes a few chapters ahead of where I'm going and trying to figure out where I'm going which is not the best way I don't think I I really (laughs) am trying to uh do more outlining and when I have done more outlining it's so much easier to write but, you know, when I have successfully done outlining, writing the historicals has been interesting that way for me, because you can find so many great plots in history. So, you know, you don't have right. to come up with plots. You find a scandal or you find an interesting, some kind of intrigue or a crime. And then you just have to try to learn enough about these historical characters to imagine, again, inhabiting them and why they did what they did or what you know, make it, then you just make up stuff um, after, after that point, but you have some plot points. So for me, that helps a lot to have that resource of going back to the historical research and research is something that, you know, I had to do a lot of as Mm -hmm. a professor. So that's, I guess that's another way that being an academic has helped me a lot is that I have a lot of experience with research. So um, yeah, I, I like research. And so that's something that's been fun for me about the historicals too. And what era is the your historical, your Fiona 
big series take place in? Uh, so far, they've all been in 1917, so during World War One. Um, yeah, and so I've had to learn a lot about World War One. You know, it's funny in a way because I hated history in school. <laughs> when I had to take, I was really bad, really bad. I did not get good grades in history either, and I really didn't like it. And and I don't like war. I mean, you know, it's war. And I don't like reading about war. And I don't like reading about all these battles. And I, I really, it's overwhelming. You know, I'm like, I do not understand this military stuff. So it, anyway, my novels are not about that. Thank goodness. But I end up having to read some just for location, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to move Fiona around. Uh, but yeah, they're very loose historicals. They're they're more cozy than historical, I think, but it, it, it has been fun. You know, like one of them uh, was set in Paris. It was the second one. And one of the characters is Mata Hari. So it was really fun reading yeah. about and um, how, you know, how in some historians view, she was a scapegoat and not really a spy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was reading about, kind of ambiguous characters or I guess another thing that's really been fun for me given my feminist mission is sort of a kind of um I guess I don't know if you'd call it revisionist history but of bringing back female characters or women who maybe have been uh maligned Mm -hmm. like the Matahari character, or have been really neglected. Another character in another one of the Fiona books that she runs into is Albert Einstein's first wife, Malavia Einstein, who was his collaborator in on the theory of relativity and wow. officially got no credit. And in fact, he... I mean, he did end up divorcing her because he was having these affairs and so on with his cousin, and then he married her. But he did give Malavia the money from the first Nobel Prize, but she got no credit. And it was kind of on the condition that she wouldn't be, you know, and at the time, too, no one was going to accept, I guess, that this woman was really part or a co-author on the papers that he was submitting to academic journals and in physics and so on. So, so that was fun too, you know, trying to, so that's part of my historical research. It starts with trying to find uh, an interesting woman. Mm-hmm. So that's how I decide where I'm going to go with Fiona, find the character that she's going to interact with. And I want it to be a really interesting and extraordinary woman character based on a real life character. So um, that's, yeah, that's really been fun and a, a way to kind of bring these women back to some kind of recognition that they haven't yeah. gotten. Well, that's wonderful. That's really interesting. And, and a rich source of <laughs> material for you because there are a lot of women who've been, forgotten or neglected or maligned in history so um you you can keep writing that series for a very long time (laughs) yeah it can even be contemporary hey yeah i know 
<laughs> you also wrote a middle grade series. What got you started on doing that? Because middle grade mysteries are the entry point for a lot of people. And we need, you know, where's the current Nancy Drew is a, is a frequent conversation. Um, but what, what, what propelled you to write a, or compelled you to write a middle grade mystery? Well, part of why I wanted to write middle grade is the same reason that I wanted to write uh, other mysteries or whether it's fiction or nonfiction about women and strong women. So I wanted a character that was, I wanted, I guess, a strong kind of feminist uh, middle grade mystery. You know, I wanted a, a, a kid's a story for kids that had strong girls who were working as a team, not the, you know, Katniss Everdeen or whatever, working the lone uh, extraordinary girl, but girls who work together out of their friendship and um, yeah, I guess something that showed empowerment girl power and uh and that it's not just about you know competitiveness between girls but forming mm-hmm. alliance together so i and i just i kind of woke up one morning and had this idea of this girl um and went with it you know just kind of ran with it and it was really fun so yeah, her name is Cassie O'Rourke, and she lives in a petting zoo in outside of Nashville. And her mom and dad are just getting a divorce or separated. Her mom's a veterinarian and has this petting zoo. So it's all about, you know, the pet detective. It's mm-hmm. all about animals. And, you know, I love animals. So that was really fun, too. So I did research about animals and had, you know, little a lot of riddles. The books include riddles and hopefully engage the reader to be very active and have stuff about uh, different kind of animal scat and tracks. And so, you you know, the kids learn something about animals and tracking animals or uh, different signs of animals. And they're, they have a lot of humor. I guess all of my books too have a lot of humor, which is important to me, especially if you're dealing with, you know, kind of heavier social issues. For me, mm-hmm. it's here to do that when you can kind of lighten the mood with some humor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I just yeah started writing the Cassie O'Rourke, the pet detective series and, and ended up writing three of the books. And then I even made an activities book to go with it, which that was really interesting. So I made puzzles. I made word puzzles and... Um, little mystery exercises for kids. And then I, I also, I hired an illustrator, you know, for all of the books. So they've got amazing illustrations, but also the activities book has, you know, cute animals, but different kinds of riddles and puddle puzzles and games, and also charts on how to think about mystery, you know, mm-hmm. what, red herring and what is who is the detective and the tools that detectives use so that was super fun yeah it sounds it sounds wonderful and and ambitious I mean that's a a huge process um to hire 
you know, uh, illustrators and, and activity books and sort of package that all up. Tell me a little bit about your publishing journey. What's what's that been like? I mean, you had um, experience in publishing uh, nonfiction, uh, you know, lots of experience. But what what tell me about your fiction publishing journey? Yeah, that has been very different than my scholarly publication journey where, you know, it's hard to to publish scholarly stuff is really hard. I was used to getting rejections, but I also, I guess I had learned how to do it in such a way and done it so much that for me, it became kind of easy. Maybe I shouldn't say that. I mean, not, not that I got everything published. I still got rejections, but I knew that I could, whatever I wrote, I could get published pretty much. And I could get published by a prestigious university press. So I did that. But with fiction writing, whoa, yeah, that was a a whole new world. So I didn't have a clue. You know, first you're supposed to try to get an agent. So, oh, wow. I tried. So I tried to get an agent, you know, and queried a lot of agents with the first book, the first Jessica James book. And I eventually got an agent, but she was very small you know, she was her own agency, basically. So she had it for like a year and pitched it to the big five. Nobody wanted it. So I went back and tried, still tried to get, you know, another agent. And eventually I'm not a very patient person. So, you know, I had to learn some patience with the scholarly and nonfiction publishing because it takes forever, you know. So I knew that. I knew that, in mm-hmm. fact, it's much it's much slower than fiction publishing. It's, it takes, you know, some, some of my books, I would write them and they wouldn't come out like three years later, they would come out. So, uh, in, in the academic world. So I was used to waiting, you know, waiting to get the, the comments back from the editor, waiting to get the page proofs back, you know, months and months and months. So that part of the process with fiction has been a little faster. So I had to learn some patience. But wow, after, you know, a year and a half and I didn't even have a publisher, I decided to just publish it myself because I also, when I was going to these writers conventions like Killer Nashville, there would be sessions about self-publishing. And I really also had a lot of, I have to admit, stigma associated with self-publishing because of my background in academic Mm -hmm. publishing, like Vanity Press, you know, Vanity Publishing really looked down upon, you know, you, it's you know, it's one step up from like plagiarism or, you know, the evils of whatever. No, no. If you're, if you're an academic, you know, you, you try to get, of course, the best publisher, most prestigious and your whole career depends on getting a prestigious publisher. You're not going to get a good job, your salary, everything. So it was hard for me to make that decision. Um, but actually, it, that's been a really interesting and fun journey, too. I have to say, the the self-publishing, I learned so it's totally different than writing. You know, you have to become your own marketer. You mm-hmm. have to do design work. I've had to learn some computer code, like HTML language. Oh, my gosh, I never thought I'd be going there. I've learned so much. I, you know, I did Facebook ads, very technical Um uh, business account kind of stuff and took some courses and have, um, yeah, that's, it's been an adventure. So 
Yeah, that was hard though. You know, I still, then I queried agents mm. for, um, the middle grade. Every time I got, I guess I must've gotten better at it because I would get more agents who wanted to see pages or wanted to see the manuscript, but I never got the agent with the middle grade either. And then Fiona Fig, I sent that out and I had, again, more agents interested in wanting to see the manuscript. And I also sent it to Level Best Books. They accept uh, submissions without an agent mm -hmm. and they want so, and they responded very quickly. So that was really exciting. And I didn't need an agent. Hooray. I do now have an agent. Um, this is kind of interesting, but I have a great agent. Paula Munir is my agent. And I haven't actually given her any manuscript yet. I basically got an agent on the basis of my marketing success with my self-published books. So that was interesting too, that probably not the normal way that people get agents and kind of a roundabout way, but I had, I guess, so successfully uh, done my own marketing, mostly in terms of my email list. I have, I have like, I don't know now, 270,000 people on my newsletter list. So um, yeah, it's, it's huge. And really only about, you know, 90,000 are active, but it's still, still, that's huge. That's huge. So indie publishing is running your own business and it's a different skill set. And, and obviously you, you dive in and learn and figure things out and, you know, Facebook ads and all this stuff changes as well. I mean, you learn it once and then they change the algorithms and you have to learn it again. But that's a email lists are what you own. You own your website, you own your mailing list, you know, social media we rent. Um, so to build that kind of mailing list is, is tremendous. And I've never heard of anyone with that big a mailing list. How did you do that? I mean, what, what, I mean, that's over the, when was your first book published? Um, I think it's 2016. So in the eight years or seven, seven years, um, you've built up a huge mailing list. So, so what's, what's the secret of that success? I mean, what, what, you know, <laughs> uh, it's the, it's the advertising part of the self-publishing and I yeah I didn't start it for I've only been doing that for about three years so I've actually built this mailing list in about three years um, and again it's you have to get into some pretty complicated Facebook ads I know that Facebook you know you'll have a you have a Facebook account and you have a post and Facebook will say hey want to want to promote this post that's not what I'm talking about you know right. you can and you can promote the post and that is advertising this is different opening a facebook business account mm -hmm. have to the ads have a lot of moving parts and it's very complicated and like you said it changes there was a huge change actually <laughs> about a year ago uh that has really tanked a lot of people's ads including my own yes i was i was making you know pretty good money hate to talk about money but on my self-published and my advertising uh 
but with some changes to the privacy laws, actually, uh, the Facebook algorithm doesn't work like it used to. So I'm not doing, I'm not as profitable. So I may have to give up some of my Facebook ads. But what I was doing was I was advertising on Facebook and basically giving away the first novel for free if people signed up for my mailing list. So that was it. That that's the bottom line is you just give away something, you know, you have, uh, they call a lead magnet. So you, you, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of authors do that, maybe give away a novella, a short story, or, you know, if you give away the first novel in a series, then, then people, the, I, the hope is that if they like it, they'll go on and buy the rest of the series. So yeah. part of my advertising strategy that had a lot more parts to it was giving away the first novel. Uh, and so the, interestingly, I guess that the mailing list was just a nice side effect of what I was doing to actually try to sell the, um, self-published series mm-hmm. that with the self-published series. Cause obviously I don't own the rights to the traditionally published books. So I can't like give away <laughs> the first book or something like that. So, um, yeah, that was, it was, I didn't actually set out to build the newsletter, you know, the list by, but it was, um, as I said, a nice side effect of my whole advertising strategy. Yeah. yeah. And do you regularly send out newsletters? I do. I have, uh, I have an automation <laughs> that sends out like once a month. So I, I have it set up for about maybe 14 months worth. So once they enter, they'll start getting that. And then I also, you know, try to sell them stuff. And I tell them when I have, you know, I do special announcements if I have doing a book launch or have something coming out, or if something's on special, like if I have a book bub and they're doing something's like a dollar 99 or two 99 or something like that, then I can also get a pretty good bump just from sending it to my own list. Yeah. And I, I also, love to do that for friends. So if, yeah, if anyone out there, uh, has a special deal, my readers like specials. Like if you're, if you have a book bub or somehow running something that's 99 cents or $1.99, and especially if it's more in the cozy kind of, um, genre of mystery, uh, or kind of clean, they, they, my readers seem to, yeah, mm-hmm. that go in that direction. So, um, yeah, they love it. They gobble it up. And so I love to pro- promote my friends when, because it's so fun to just watch the numbers. You know, I can watch the numbers of like where they're ranking on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or something like that, and then send out to my list. And an hour later, two hours later, you just start seeing the book climbing the charts. Uh, and it's really fun and really exciting. Yeah. And yeah. That's, uh, that's tremendous. It's a tremendous, uh, gift that you give your friends, but it's also, um, to understand and to look at those numbers and to really keep diving down to the algorithms. I, I know a few people who, (laughs) who love that and who embrace that. And, you know, as we've talked about, it changes. So, um, you know, to, to really have taken control of your destiny uh, and really be driving it is, is very inspirational. It's, it's uh, tremendous. 
Yeah, it's interesting because when I've talked to, this is something else I guess I learned that made me feel not as, you know, embarrassed about being a self-published author. Uh, I talked to, you know, a lot of friends as I made friends going to these different mystery conventions with people who are uh, traditionally published, some at the big five, you know, very successful. And when I talk to them, they pretty much have to do a lot of their own marketing and advertising too. Unless you're, you know, Janet Ivanovich or Louise Penny or James Patterson, you know, um, you, you have to do your own marketing and advertising anyway. So when I learned that, I was like, wow, okay. Uh, so, so that, you know, I, I still do marketing and advertising for the Fiona Fig series, even though it's published, uh, the first three were published with Level Best, and now the fourth one is coming out with Boldwood Books uh, in London. So, but I, I continue uh, to do, even though they do marketing and advertising too, I'm still going to continue to do my own, especially to my, well, obviously to my newsletter list, you know, to them, but uh, yeah, just because it's kind of fun. Uh, and you can do it, you know, you can do it and spend a lot of money, but you can also do advertising and spend very little money, like $5 a day or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you need to understand what you're doing so that you're not just flushing that $5. I mean, you need to understand what, what you want to get back and what the numbers look like and how you tweak things and keywords. I mean, there's a lot to understand with all of this. Yeah. Um, sounds to me like there's going to be a sisters in crime webinar coming up with Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you wish you'd known earlier in your publishing, in your fiction publishing journey? Yeah, I guess when I first started, I felt like I had to write the book from start to finish and that it had to sound right and be complete somehow. And it was really eye-opening, probably obvious to people who've written, you know, fiction for a long time, but it was just eye-opening to me when I realized that it, writing is kind of like layering so that so much goes on in the editorial process. And I guess one of the ways I learned this was I had editors who would, you know, tell me that if <laughs> I had a great, I just love Barb Goffman. I, she was one of my editors. Anyway, she would, um, she doesn't mince words. And I like that. <laughs> I don't want it candy coated, you know? Um, uh, but then it would be a little overwhelming. You know, I'd have like 15 pages of stuff and I'm like, oh, I have to rewrite the novel. What am I going to do? I have to change everything. And then I realized with fiction, you change one phrase, you change one sentence and it changes the entire world. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like a miracle. It's, yeah. I mean, editing is a miracle. I love it because, I mean, part of me hates it because, of course, you're like, oh, isn't this done yet? Oh, I've been working on this. But when you can just change one small thing and everything changes the, mm-hmm. the whole feel of the novel, something really important and telling about the character or the place or even the plot, the crime and so on. So I now have, I feel under a lot less pressure to write a novel in the first time around, you know, I can just write what is easier sort of comes more naturally for me, in my case, it's, it happens to be dialogue. I don't know why. Uh, 
but I find writing descriptions of the place or or giving a real concrete uh, feeling to the reader of where are we that mm-hmm. I forget to do maybe because I'm a philosopher because you know I'm in my head where am I I don't know <laughs> uh, so I but to realize that I can go back and do that you know. Yeah go back like a painter and add another layer of paint or I can go back and just change one small detail and everything will change and then I don't feel as overwhelmed you know that oh I have to make all these changes or I don't I don't have to slow down if I just am feeling like I'm getting stuck with what does this thing look like I don't know what it looks like uh and just write what I can and then go back realizing that okay I'd maybe just make a note to myself describe cathedral and I don't have to do it right then and then I can go back um when I can really concentrate and add that as another layer another thing I'm I guess I'm not that great at is adding like character reactions uh but you know I can go back and add that so that that was really eye-opening when I realized that I don't have to write a complete novel or I can write it in stages really Mm -hmm. editorial process is part of writing um absolutely something to be overwhelmed or scared by but kind of fun yeah well that's a great a great thing to to remind people of too and that sometimes you need outside eyes on your novel because you've looked at it or worked on it for so long you can't see it anymore you know yeah and it is true that i editors are so important and getting that kind of feedback. So even on my self-published stuff, I always hire editors and usually two or three on each book. I mean, some more for, you know, developmental Mm -hmm. editing stuff like Barb, who's amazing. Uh, But then just proofreaders, you know, because uh, readers don't like typos and it's really typos and you don't especially in your own writing and I'm terrible oh my gosh I'm a terrible editor so I absolutely have maybe some people are better at it but I can't spell really and yeah bad so I hire hire editors or rely on the editors from you know that's a great thing about the traditional publishing you have editors and Mm -hmm. so agents who read your stuff and give you feedback it really it's such a gift and should treasure any feedback from readers. I mean, whether it's your beta readers or friends or, or right. editor. Um, yeah. And especially criticism, I think, you know, critical, not like mean, but right. Right. Crit- really thoughtful, critical feedback is such a treasure. Uh, and somebody who's willing to give you what might be kind of, hard (laughs) um advice or just reactions and not just say oh i love it this is amazing it's so fun or you know it's great because okay that's really nice you know it feels good to hear that but it's much harder for someone to take the time to really thoughtfully and critically engage and and give you feedback about how you can make it better so yeah i love editors (laughs) <laughs> do you think that's part of your academic background um being willing to and also you're being a philosopher that you're willing to tussle you're willing to take criticism and and sort of see how it feels and and um embrace that 
that dialogue within um, your writing life? Uh, because some people find that very difficult. And that as you progress in your writing, you have to develop that skill. But do you think that that's part of why you would, you love it? Um, is that it's sort of built into your DNA at this point? Well, that could be. That's a good point because as an academic and especially in academic or professional philosophy, there's a lot of criticism. And that's what it's all about. You know, yeah. and I, I was a debater when I was uh, in high school and college. So, um, yeah, I guess it must be in my DNA to take that, to take criticism, because that's what philosophers do. They just attack you. You know, you present something, and the whole point of criticism there is for them to find something wrong with it and find the yeah. fatal flaw. And yeah, it's annoying. That's another good reason to retire. <laughs> Not all philosophers <laughs> like that, really. A lot of fun, and a lot of philosophers are very nice. But uh, yeah, I think that another aspect maybe of I don't know if it's my personality, but I am not a perfectionist. I am willing to just send out crap. I mean, not that I'm trying to, you know what I mean? I'm doing yeah. my best, but I'm not like, I, I just send it out um, because to get to, to get feedback. I, I mean, obviously when I'm writing a novel, I try to make it as complete and as good as possible. But uh, yeah, I guess because I don't feel invested that it's somehow um, uh, my whole self is there, or maybe I just can embrace that I'm very flawed and my writing is also very flawed and it is what it is, you know? Uh, so if someone can help me make it better, then I welcome that. And yeah, you're, maybe you're right that because I've been an academic, I have gone through that and, you know, you send out something as an academic and you get reviews and they want you to revise and your editor wants you to revise and, and then you do it. Cause if you want to get published and you want to keep your job and you want to have tenure and you want to have a salary and a paycheck, you do it. So yeah. I do have friends, I, you know, especially in academia that are so invested in what they wrote, they argue and they don't want to change anything. And I don't know, I've never been like that. I'm like, yeah, you want me to do it? Anything you want me to do, I'll do it. You know, just tell yeah. me. In fact, I love, I love it if an editor will just tell me what to do. You know, that nobody, they don't, of course, do that. But I'm just like, oh, how do I fix it? Yeah, if they happen to tell me, I'll do it. Um, that does have a downside, especially when I was first sending out, you know, the first book, people would say, oh, I don't like this, so I change it. And then someone else, oh, I like that. I'm like, wait, I just changed it because someone else told me they didn't like it. And yeah. you know, I was doing everything anybody told me because I just didn't have the confidence. And then I realized I can't please everyone. You know, I, of course, I already knew that, but I, I had to put it into practice that if the suggestion feels good and feels right and makes sense, yes. And if it doesn't, then yeah, don't do it. Um, yeah, trust your gut. Yeah, very yeah. much to have have some confidence in what you're doing um or it starts not to make sense when you start changing everything but but yeah i think being able to take criticism i guess yeah it's like taking medicine you know you, you've got to realize that it's going to make you feel better it's going to make the book better uh it's good for you and it's going to make the book better so take your medicine you know and a spoonful of sugar does help the medicine go down so yeah. those that we'll start by saying, oh, I loved it. This was yeah. a delight read and this was so clever and so much fun. Of course, that's nice. So, uh, but then get to yeah. the substantive 
kinds of criticisms and suggestions after wow. this trigger. Yeah. Um, you are the new vice president of Sisters in Crime, which means you're the incoming president for 2023-2024. Um, um, tell me about community and what that has meant in your writing journey. It's meant everything, really. Uh, whether we're talking about my philosophy writing, I mean, having uh, support, especially uh in my discipline, which is very male dominated, about 80% of philosophers still are men. And so it's always been important to me to have a community of women and supportive women to just survive mm -hmm. this male dominated profession. So I think also that might be part of the reason that I, my work has centered on community. My work is centered on uh, solidarity in groups that are oppressed. It's been about oppression of women, but other marginalized groups, underrepresented groups, um, and just the dynamics of how oppression works. So one of the, the ways to survive, um, you know, sexism in, in the profession is through solidarity with mm -hmm. So. I immediately was drawn to Sisters in Crime. I mean, from the minute I learned about it, which was the very first minute that I started becoming, a, uh, decided that I was going to write fiction. You know, that, that first panel that I went to ever on writing was sponsored by Sisters in Crime. And it was amazing. It was still one of the best panels that I have gone to. I mean, they were they were fun. They were encouraging. They were so, there was so much joy there and nurturing, but also so much great information and mm -hmm. advice and feedback. And they were so nice and approachable, even though, you know, I didn't know anything. And so that has, you know, that has meant a lot to me. And especially as I'm I mean, as I'm retiring as a professor, as a professor, I also, I guess as a person, I should say, but in my professional life, I have really devoted myself to mentoring women and other underrepresented groups in philosophy. And it has been one of the most meaningful parts of my life and also the most meaningful part of my career, just working with students and especially being able to mentor women and students of color and other students that just are not well represented uh, has been such an important part of my life. And now I feel like I'm leaving that. And I immediately, again, just gravitated to Sisters in Crime as a place where that's what it seems like it's all about. You know, mm -hmm. it's solidarity it's about community it's about mentorship and helping each other to succeed and so I I'm really excited about and a little nervous I have to admit you know about taking on this responsibility um, but it's such an amazing organization and I think it's so important and I have met so many great people too in my writing journey which has you know, my fiction writing, which has only been a few years, I have been so reliant on the women that I have met through Sisters in Crime and going through workshops and getting advice. I have gotten advice from 
lots of great Sisters in Crime members uh, along the way. And yeah, I'm in regular touch with some of the people that I've met and just, you know, for solidarity, but comparing stories and also Mm -hmm. getting advice on agents and writing and publishing. And it's, yeah, I, I just don't think I could do it without that. And so I guess I knew to seek it out because of my experience uh, in philosophy, but I'm so glad that I immediately found it. I mean, Sisters in Crime has such a visible presence in the mystery writing world. Uh, and so it's, yeah, I think it's wonderful. And I'm wow. privileged to you know, be now part of the leadership. Well, we're so looking forward to working with you and and learning from you and exploring um, so many different avenues of your knowledge and your experience, but also, um, you know, the, your graciousness and your openness to share your your journey and and how you work and things is so appreciated kelly um it's you're gonna inspire a lot of people with this conversation thank you so much for being on the podcast my pleasure thank you thank you for being with us today sisters in crime is about community We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international, inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.